Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Gospel of the Lord. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. What does that look like in your mind? How do you conceive of the great ones, the magi, the wise ones, the counselors of kings who had traveled so far, following a star? They followed the protocol. They knocked on Herod's palace door. They asked the right questions, and read that text again and realize just what kind of alarm their presence created. Don't put a number on them. Certainly not only three. Three men, three camels, that's it. This was a mighty entourage. People of that level of culture, that prominence of thoughts and government would have not been traveling without all the provisions and protections of royalty. Old Testament prophecy speaks of this moment as the flocks and herds that accompany these ships that sailed into Bethlehem covering the fields outside of that little town. So how does this look? What does this sound like in your mind? This being overjoyed at seeing the star. Are only words of jubilation exchanged? Or are there physical acts of 
praise and thanks to God for placing that star in front of them again. You and I are familiar with all kinds of celebrations, home run trots, and very, very involved end zone celebrations in this day and age. All of that is really quite trivial. This was a really big deal. Think it through. What causes people of such stature, people of wealth that could afford such lavish gifts, people of substance and certainty that clearly had access to the Old Testament Scriptures or they wouldn't be standing there outside of Herod's palace looking towards Bethlehem, hoping to see some sign that they could know for sure where to go to find this baby they were looking for, this baby king that they were looking for. Think it through. Think it through on the basis of what you know from your own study of the Scriptures. And then place into your mind some little video of brief length of what this looked like, this being overjoyed at seeing the star. Don't for a moment eliminate the possibility that there were hallelujahs proclaimed with selfless abandon to the very stars in the sky because these were scholars who knew the Old Testament and the Old Testament language. They knew the Psalms. They knew the prophecies. And so that word would not be foreign or unusual to them to express in a moment like this. So is it on their knees? Is it flat on their faces? Is it leaping with joy and shouting hallelujah, overjoyed at seeing the star? But take it a step further. Why? Why would such worldly, experienced, probably calloused by the affairs of world and culture, strangers from a foreign land who had put themselves at great expense and danger of going all the way to this nowheresville little town just outside of Jerusalem, Why the gifts? Why the extravagant gifts? You and I can look at it in hindsight from later on in the New Testament and realize this is God funding the sojourn, the escape into Egypt, the the ability to be away from Herod, not just in the moment of the slaughter of all the innocent children that was about to come, but for years afterwards. The ability to live in a faraway place where There was no need for exchange of currency because the things they traveled with were valuable from one culture to the next in that day and age in such a way that all of their needs would be met for years through extravagant gifts. Why the worship? Why 
expressions of worship in treasure through offerings? Why worship? It's a word that gets thrown back and forth multiple times in the verses in front of us. Even Herod uses it. Herod's being clever by half, but he has no intention of actually worshiping Jesus. We have no idea what concept in his mind of worship Herod was thinking of, but we do know what they did when they arrived and found the child. They find the child with his mother and they offer their gifts and they worship. And there too, if you don't have an image in your mind yet, it's time to set one. The word used there, the concept of the ancient times that is presented to us here, these were exceptionally important people. Likely under the circumstances, dressed in the finest of clothes they could possibly have brought with them for the occasion. Likely because of who they were saying they were looking for and readying to meet, they took a significant amount of time to prepare for appropriate presentation of themselves to this little baby king so that they could venerate him flat on their faces in front of him. Put that together in your mind. First, they're overjoyed. There's just an explosion of joy and thankfulness to God in that moment when they see that star in the sky and then they have time to think as they travel out to Bethlehem to plan how they were going to do this. Perhaps to discuss with one another the final details of, of their expression, of their, their faith and their joy and their praise and their relief at this journey not being one that turned up to be nothing of importance, but rather in their minds and hearts and souls the most important journey they would ever take in their lives. Mary. We see her and we hear her contemplating everything, wondering about it and, and, and meditating on it. What the angels have to say to her, what the angels said to the shepherds, what the shepherds say to her. And now, now, now she has these incredibly interesting foreigners who can speak her language. who have been overjoyed to find them, but sequester their joy to inward spaces in this moment as they silently fall first to their knees and then to the ground on their faces in selfless surrender of themselves before a king. But in their minds, also before their God. That word worship takes it all a step further than you might be expecting if you're just reading it for the very first time. They knew who they were looking for. 
They knew what they needed to bring along. They knew what they needed to do when they got there. And all of it played out according to plan. Their worship plan. Have you ever thought of and seen these words from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 2 as the account of a worship service? It has the ingredients. Overjoyed praise, expensive and extravagant offerings, and human souls seeking God, losing themselves completely through their surrender in worship to the object of that worship. In this case, the eternal God, now in human form, a tiny baby in his mother's arms. Have you figured out the why yet? only one conclusion you can come to. All of Scripture points to it. I pray it's the same reason you're here tonight. The answer is sin. Those great ones who came all that way were broken guilty, burdened sinners just like you, just like me, seeking forgiveness, seeking solace, seeking healing, seeking certainty of righteousness from God, acceptance in God's sight, His presence, His eternity. Amazing mentors we have. We have them throughout the pages of Scripture. Here we have mentors that are very likely more like us than most others in the Scriptures. These are people who had every right to feel excluded from the family of God and the plans of God and the promise of forgiveness and eternity. But somewhere, somewhere along the way, most likely through the exiles of the people of God from their promised land flowing with milk and honey that they failed to embrace in every way that God had defined for them, and so he had to discipline them by sending them out to the foreign lands to be, to be purged of their, their rebellion and their their idolatry, and their awful sexual immorality attached to that idolatry. In God's making for himself a new people of the descendants of Abraham and David, 
in that moment when it was the perfect moment for him to bring his son into the world. In that process, leading to that moment, he scattered people who knew his word and would share his word throughout the inhabited world of the day. And through that saving activity, he salted and peppered nations with his truth. And those who were not of the people of the Hebrews, people like you and me, they heard of the one true God, the Creator God who who makes promises to human beings about forgiveness and, and eternal life, about being right with Him and welcome to see Him face to face one day in an entirely new life, raised from the dead, to see Him with eyes that had been already destroyed through death and grave. And so you and I have, in the early days of our Savior's life, mentors who look and sound, who believe and worship, just like us. Who, when they see the work of their Savior God, when they see the details of His promises playing out not just on the the backdrop of world history, but see it also on the pages of their own lives, are overjoyed at what God is doing and are ready to express themselves to their extravagant offerings, their worship, their obedience, as they're told to go home by another route, and they do, and their witness as well. Everything that God sees in you and me, everything that God gives to you and me, everything that God promises to you and me, everything that God has planned for you and me, everything that God has defined as worship and praise in our day-to-day lives and in our exceptional moments of gathering with fellow believers, with our offerings and our acts, with our minds and our hearts and our lips and our hands. All of it is present here as an amazing, exceptionally important mentoring picture for you and me to see and understand and to contemplate and to see in all of this what God has planned for us the very same things he had planned for them. None of us can can claim the importance in our world that they could claim in theirs. Not likely either the wealth, very likely not even the pursuit of knowledge that they had accumulated. But none of that matters. Because in God's eyes, he's ready to offer us 
the same answers, the same promises, the same hope, the same forgiveness, the same righteousness, the same certainty of eternal life with Him. And so we too are overjoyed because our sins are forgiven. God's one and only Son came into the world to live, to die, to rise, and return to heaven's throne, all for the purpose of paying for your sins and giving you access to eternal life through the righteousness of his own gift to you. Completely free and without any leverage to enjoy, to embrace that it might motivate you every day to see yourself and your world and your God and his salvation the way these magi from the east saw it that day in Bethlehem and realize overjoyed Worshippers offering God their very best gifts, extravagant offerings? Absolutely. They're just like me. And I have every reason and every opportunity to learn from this example. And by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, Be just like them. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen.